You are listening to The Scope, Phelps Health Podcast, Episode 11. Today, we're discussing women's health. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Paige Heitman. The Scope Podcast is produced on a regular basis and can be found by visiting phelpshealth.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your SoundCloud stream or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also follow Phelps Health on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Radford, who's on our show today, check out our last podcast where we discuss summer safety. Well, welcome back to our show, Dr. Radford. Thanks. I feel like I never left. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> so, Dr. Radford, let's just go ahead and dive right in. What is women's health? Uh, so, women's health is uh, basically anything healthcare related that's focused on um, improvement of mm-hmm. Not just women's um, like physical well-being, mm-hmm. but like screening for diseases, emotional health, uh, just overall wellness. So. Mm-hmm. Why is women's health so unique and important? So, <clears throat> probably the easiest thing to point out mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of health conditions that are specific to women, like uh, issues with menstrual cycles, birth control, pregnancy, uh, menopause. Um, there's a whole host of um, screening tests for certain diseases that are specific to women. And then there's also, there's some diseases that uh, preferentially affect women more than they do men. So um, I think I think that's why those things are all put together under women's health. That makes sense. So um, what does it mean necessarily to be like a healthy woman versus an unhealthy woman? You know, so speak, speaking as a gynecologist, mm-hmm. when I'm talking to my patients, yeah. um, you know, I, I really appreciate it when my patients take an active role in their healthcare. Mm-hmm. So for me, that means they're they're coming to their visits regularly. Um, you know, define uh, a regular visit. Well, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I live this every mm-hmm. week, so I see this a lot. So um, you know. Uh, I'll have somebody that'll come in and she'll just sheepishly admit like, oh, you know, it's been a couple years, three years, <laughs> 10 years. And, um, you know, if, if I've got somebody in the office who I'm seeing them every year, they're coming in for their annual visit. Mm-hmm. Um, not only does, does that signal to me that they're doing everything they can to maintain and take care of themselves, but um, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of a partner in this, in this mm-hmm. healthcare relationship. And they're, I, I, I'm confident that if they're coming in regularly, that they're also going to be more engaged. They're going to listen to my advice. They're going to, they're going to get appropriate screening whenever they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's a good signal to me that they're, they're doing what they should be. So you talk about a healthcare relationship, which is really cool whenever a, a physician or a provider really takes an active role in, in their patient's care. What does that mean for you as a provider? Yeah, so uh, I think it goes both ways, actually. So mm-hmm. so for me as a provider, mm-hmm. um, you know, as I get to know people, I mean, I've, I've got some patients that I've seen for 12, 13 mm-hmm. years every year, and um, I... I both like to know people personally, mm-hmm. but it also, unfortunately, by the nature of what I do, there's some unpleasant things that we do in the office yeah. as part of routine care. Mm-hmm. And so I use it as a distraction technique to kind of talk to people. About, <laughs> about like, their lives. Yeah, <laughs> pe- 
doesn't like talking uh-huh. about their kids and their mm-hmm. family and going on vacation and whatnot. But um, but but for me, that that further enriches that relationship and it 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 makes it more personal, which I, mm-hmm. I really like. And then I think as far as from the patient perspective, the the more you get to know your your physician, the easier it is to open up about sensitive subjects and embarrassing mm-hmm. things that we talk about um, you know unfortunately there's things that preferentially affect women that some people might feel like they're taboo to talk about mm-hmm. and if they're, if they're not going to talk about those things mm-hmm. and they're having an issue it makes it harder for me to help them with that you know, uh, my OBGYN is Dr. Vina Green, and she's mm. she is amazing at doing just that. Yeah. She can sit there and, you know, do whatever weird thing it is that you have to do in your appointments. Yeah. And she'll have a conversation about what's been going on in your life. And then, like, the next day, I'll see her at Donut King with her kids. Yep. And it's not weird. Yep. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm confident that Dr. Green mm-hmm. would back me up if I said this, but... You know, good for her for, mm-hmm. you know, being a human being and yes. talking about those things mm-hmm. and making you feel welcome. But I am confident in the back of her mind that she's thinking about, you know, pap smears and yes. what do you do for mammogram uh-huh. and stuff like that. And I think that's great. I think that's, um, I think that's being a good physician. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a very unique field to be in where you have to be compassionate to how uncomfortable the patient probably is to have mm-hmm. to go in and have these awkward conversations or awkward for them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really cool. It's yeah. kind of, it's a unique experience. Well, there's definitely, I, I think some doctors do better than yeah. some others, obviously, mm-hmm. but, um, I think there's definitely, there's, um, there's tricks and there's ways mm-hmm. to ease into those conversations. It, it doesn't need to be awkward or mm-hmm. in your face or blunt or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I, I really hope that mm-hmm. my patients are receiving the care that they think yeah. they deserve. Uh, it should be compassionate. They should they should really trust their physician. And I, I think every person deserves that. Absolutely. I completely agree. So what are some of the most common health issues for women that, that you see? Yeah, so um, if, if I was to divide up my typical work week mm-hmm. as a physician, so... Probably half of all my patients are routine well woman exams, mm-hmm. so like routine screening. So, so um, I, I tell my patients this very frequently, especially mm-hmm. like if I see adolescent patients, and that's an opportunity to kind of introduce them to these ideas of what to expect. But um, current guidelines, so mm-hmm. every woman between the ages of 21 on mm-hmm. should have a yearly exam. So, in addition to a normal like physical exam, mm-hmm. listen to your heart and lungs, weight and blood pressure, that kind of stuff. Every woman should have a breast exam and a pelvic exam every year. Um, historically, most women kind of learn to associate the well woman exam with like their pap smear. Mm-hmm. And, and most people do not need a pap smear every year. That is not that common anymore to do a pap smear every year. Uh, most women do a pap smear starting at uh, 21 to screen for cervical cancer. As long as they're normal, they go to every three years, and then if they continue to be normal, and if they're negative for the HPV virus, so human papillomavirus, that's what actually causes cervical cancer, at 30, they can space those out to every three to five years. Wow. So 
So that's great. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, have, that's awesome. I, I have yet to have somebody mm-hmm. argue with me that they do not want to speak to cap smears. <laughs> but um, the the downside of that communication is people hear, oh, I don't need my pap smear for three years. I'll see you in three years, doc. Mm-hmm. And um, that's typically the person that's kind of sheepishly admitting that they haven't been there in a while. So, um, so easily half of my clinic is spent uh, wellness exams, screening mm-hmm. for diseases, things like yeah. that. And then the other half of my time clinically is split between addressing problems with health and surgery. So um, I operate uh, one day a week doing like hysterectomies, mm-hmm. DNCs, tubal ligations, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, with pap smears, whenever they only have to get them three to five years and those women like basically fall off the radar, Mm -hmm. why is it so important that they come in every single year? Yeah. So, um, I think, I think most people are familiar with how a pap smear decreases your risk of Mm -hmm. getting cervical cancer, which fortunately with pap smears, with, um, the HPV test, with vaccines for Mm -hmm. HPV, as those are becoming more common, it's not that cervical cancer is unheard of. And unfortunately I find somebody with cervical cancer at least once a year. Um, since, since that's less important as far as cervical cancer goes, I don't want to diminish the importance of a routine well woman exam because there's still other things that you're being screened for when you go in for your checkup and you may not even realize you're being screened for these things. So, um, what are some of those things? Yeah. So, so like, um, as far as breast cancer goes, which is, is really common, you know, one in eight women will get breast cancer. Uh, you're getting a breast exam and then after 40, that's when most women are getting their mammograms. So you're going to see those at your regular wellness visits, but then there's also, um, you know, behavioral type issues, depression, eating disorders. I I always ask my patients about issues with like uh, bladder habits, periods, intercourse, and and those are starting to get into the more more personal things Mm -hmm. that people, if if I didn't actually ask my patients about it, they may not volunteer that because they might find it, like I said, embarrassing or Mm -hmm. taboo, things like that. So if, if, if you're good about coming in every year, you're building that relationship and that trust, Mm If you unfortunately find yourself in a situation where you're struggling with one of those healthcare issues, you're more likely to bring it up and get it taken care of. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's really important to, to talk with your provider about those taboo issues because mm-hmm. it could be something that's been going on for like four or five years. Yep. And, and I hope I hope every patient experiences mm-hmm. this, but when you go see your doctor, that is a personal and private event. Mm-hmm. It's confidential. Uh, you, you should feel safe to talk about anything that's on your mind mm-hmm. in that setting, and, and, and patients deserve that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what about pregnancy issues? Do you um, deal with that at all, or have you ever? So I did OB for 10 years, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, life changes, things <laughs> change. Um, uh-huh. I, I now split my time between I'm half-time a physician and I'm half-time a hospital administrator or something. I'm the chief medical officer of the hospital at Phelps Health. So um, I, I do a lot with OB still in the setting of like preconception counseling. So very commonly I'll have patients that I'll be seeing them in the office and they'll 
be talking about a future anticipated pregnancy. So how can I maximize that person's health so she has a healthy pregnancy? If, if she has some chronic illness like high blood pressure, diabetes, we'll talk about how that might impact her pregnancy. Um, there's a lot of like vaccines and screening that go along with pregnancy. So we, we might do a little bit of that. Um, I, I deal with pregnancy as far as like infertility very frequently. I, I probably see at least two or three patients struggling with getting pregnant a week. Uh, and and there's, there's a whole host of health issues around that and testing options and treatment mm -hmm. options that go with that. And then um, I've got a lot of patients that um, are pregnant and then they're not far enough along to where they've established with their routine OB provider who's gonna take care of them with the rest of the pregnancy. Okay. But then they might be having a problem mm -hmm. like bleeding or a miscarriage or an ectopic mm -hmm. or something like that. And um, I still take care of those type mm -hmm. of patients. Let's go back for a second and talk about infertility problems because you said that's yeah. pretty prevalent. Very. What are some of those infertility problems that you see in our area? So infertility mm -hmm. is where you've got a healthy couple mm -hmm. having regular unprotected intercourse, mm -hmm. trying to get pregnant. There's no reason they shouldn't be getting pregnant and they go for a year without successfully conceiving. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we all know those people that they stop the birth control and then they're pregnant like the next mm -hmm. month. That does happen, but by and large, human reproduction is not very efficient. So it is very common for couples to go up to a year without getting pregnant. So when I'm sitting down with somebody and I'm, I'm helping her and her partner figure out what could be preventing them from getting pregnant, so um, about 40% of the time, it's the male partner. There's something wrong with the sperm that's making it hard to conceive. About 40% of the time, it's the female partner. Maybe she's not releasing eggs like she mm -hmm. should. Maybe there's something wrong with her anatomy, her uterus. Maybe her fallopian tubes are blocked. It can be, it can be numerous things with the female partner. About 10% of the time, it's each partner has something going on. And unfortunately, about 10% of the time, despite our testing, despite our best intentions, unfortunately, sometimes we can't figure out why people are having trouble getting pregnant. Wow, yeah. that's really unfortunate. Yeah, it Man. really is. So what are some of the things that um, you do to help people become fertile? And have babies. Yeah, so so as a as a gynecologist, mm -hmm. um, I think the best thing I can do is I always start with counseling. Mm -hmm. So I always start with kind of setting the record straight, uh -huh. giving people realistic expectations. I feel like that helps a lot. It's of not him. It's not her. Exactly. <laughs> um, I I always start with a basic fertility evaluation, and and what I call basic infertility evaluation is I. I always start with the male partner, so it's really easy for the guy to do a semen analysis. So, like most things in life, guys tend to have it easy. So, mm -hmm. are we feel, surprised? Yeah, I don't feel like it's fair <laughs> uh -huh. to make the female partner do a workup until we know what the semen analysis shows. Mm -hmm. If that's normal, then the shift focuses on the female partner, which, you know, basically with her, we want to make sure does she have eggs? Is she ovulating appropriately? Is there a place for those eggs to meet up with the sperm inside her fallopian tubes? Mm -hmm. And then once she successfully conceives, is her uterus normal on the inside? So basically the test for the female partner revolves around that. 
Um, sometimes um, the testing on the woman can actually be therapeutic as well. So I've had many patients over the years as part of their workup mm -hmm. have successfully conceived right after that. So I can't promise people that, mm -hmm. but that, that does happen. Wow. And then um, sometimes if it's something simple, like she's not ovulating well, there's mm -hmm. actually pills, medication that you mm -hmm. can take to help you ovulate. Unfortunately, some people, we find things that are wrong that we can't fix here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I have the advantage of, I've worked with different infertility specialists over the years, up in Columbia, over in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I like to use those doctors because my patients tell me that they have good experiences. They successfully start their families. If I've got somebody that needs those services, I want to send them to a place where they're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So, And you already have a good experience with them, which is right. awesome, or a good rapport. Right. That's really cool. Right. So now let's go ahead and transition into like autoimmune diseases for women. Um, according to the Office on Women's Health, autoimmune diseases are more common in women than men, with most of autoimmune diseases starting during childbearing years, which is kind of interesting. So mm -hmm. what yeah, are your thoughts sure. on that? Oh, yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, Fortunately, I, I don't know a statistic, but autoimmune diseases are not as common as you might think they are. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, the, in the big scheme of things, you're more likely to have trouble with some other part of your health than you are an autoimmune disorder. But um, going back to what we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier with the importance of your yearly checkups yeah. and having those conversations and being screened for things, um, those things are going to bear themselves out as part of that. So. Um, you know, it might manifest itself as like a problem with your thyroid, mm. problem with your periods, problem with your joints, arthritis, things like that. But um, that, that would definitely be uh, in that collection of diseases that mm -hmm. you're going to be screened for. So if it's not an autoimmune disease, which you said actually really isn't that common, what could be like some of the underlying causes? Like if somebody thinks that they have like a thyroid disease and they're gaining all this weight, but it's not actually their thyroid, yeah. what is something that it could so, actually be? So it's, so I'm, 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 are you talking about like if you have problems with periods, is that what you're talking about? Or? Yeah, let's just use that as yeah. an example. So, um, so unfortunately, common things being common, mm -hmm. most of the time, if somebody's having an issue, like she's, for example, she's having irregular periods mm -hmm. or she might miss a period, which is a really common thing. Despite our best intentions, sometimes we can't figure out why people have problems. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not really anybody's fault. It's just that, you know, humans are complicated people and we don't always understand why. Yeah, that's happen. just the way you were made. <laughs> right. Um, you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily lump it in with autoimmune disease mm -hmm. exclusively, but, uh, but definitely thyroid disease that we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. Thyroid disease is super common in women in their 30s and 40s, and that can cause a whole host of problems like abnormal periods, weight mm -hmm. gain, hair growth issues, bowel issues, things like that. So, um, so very commonly, if somebody is either coming to me specifically for a problem like that, or if she's um, just in and we're kind of just talking about how her mm -hmm. general health is, that might be one of the things that we would test. Yeah. That's really interesting. So what about depression and anxiety in women? Are women more often than men like depressed and anxious or is it the opposite? Yeah, de definitely mood disorders affect women disproportionately. Mm -hmm. 
and and there might, you know, like a lot of things in healthcare, there there might be some honest biologic and physiologic reasons for that. It might also be because we disproportionately don't treat men. We don't men men typically don't seek healthcare to the same degree that women do. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, definitely, there's things that can happen in a woman's natural life that can lead to mood disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, postpartum depression is a big one. Uh, Which is after you have a baby, right? Yeah, so so um, I, I think most moms mm-hmm. would recognize yep. that there's a lot of changes that happen with pregnancy. There's a lot of effects that are still going on after she delivers. You've got this little human being that is helpless that you gotta care for. There's a lot of stress with that. There's uh, recovery from the pregnancy, your body is physically changing, there's a lot of hormones that change, so all of that is normal. Those are all normal processes mm-hmm. that every mom is going to experience, but some women are more susceptible to that actually triggering postpartum depression, which typically, typically happens right after delivery, within mm-hmm. like the first month or so, but uh, this this is more than just the the blues that people talk about. Mm-hmm. This this is where people, they don't eat, they don't sleep, they don't enjoy things, they're crying all the time. Uh, it, it may even get so bad that they may feel like they're gonna hurt themselves or hurt one of their family members. Is there anything they can do proactively before they have their child or children if they're having like twins or something, before they have the baby? You know, if, if, if somebody, if somebody already has a history of struggling with a mood disorder, yeah. Or if she's in like a second or third pregnancy Mm -hmm. and she had postpartum depression before, then definitely there's things that they can do to try to avoid that. And I would encourage if somebody's listening to this and they recognize that in themselves, Mm -hmm. they should talk to their OB provider about Mm -hmm. trying to prevent that. Unfortunately for the average first time mom never had a mood problem before. Mm Uh, most people do not have postpartum depression, so I don't want it to be something that people are or scared that they're going to have concerned about getting right. But they just need to have a healthy understanding mm-hmm. that this is something that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think the OB providers do a great job of screening people for postpartum depression. The staff over in labor and delivery, whenever we have moms that deliver, they screen people for postpartum depression. So. Uh, I think it's something that's important for women to be aware of mm-hmm. if, if they're, they're going to start a family and have kids. Yeah. But um, it doesn't affect most mm-hmm. people. Okay, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. What about PMS? That does affect most women. PMS <laughs> definitely affects most women. So as long as you are a premenopausal woman mm-hmm. who's ovulating and having periods, uh, I can't say for certain it's everybody, but I think mm-hmm. I think most women can expect to have some symptoms of PMS to varying mm-hmm. degrees and, and some women it's not that much and some people have really, like I've talked to people that have like missed work and things like that mm-hmm. because of PMS symptoms. So PMS is generally like uh, irritability, mood changes that happen in the days leading up to and around mm-hmm. your menstrual period. Yeah, I've had times where I I did something or said something very irrational, and then the next day I started my period, and I told my husband, I was like, well, it was my PMS, it wasn't me. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't the real page. So, uh, you know, I I tell patients this all the time, Uh I I will never have a period. I'm Uh I'm not going to make assumptions about Mm -hmm. these kind of things. I I treat everybody the same. So so the way I kind of investigate that Uh is 
is the reaction that you had, is it something that you would normally do? Mm-hmm. Or was was this unusual for you to behave <laughs> that way? Uh-huh. And, and, you know, that, yeah. that kind of leads mm-hmm. into that discussion. Was it part of your split personality or was it like normally you? Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. No, it totally makes sense. What about um, perimenopausal depression? So, um, when a woman goes through menopause, mm-hmm. basically that means that the eggs that are on your ovaries mm-hmm. are no longer functioning, mm-hmm. or maybe your ovaries got removed surgically for some reason. Since you don't have those eggs and you're not ovulating anymore, you don't make the hormones anymore from your ovaries mm-hmm. that help you reproduce. Okay. okay. Um, those hormones affect what are called receptors, mm-hmm. which are parts of the cells in your tissues. You've got a lot in your brain, you've got a lot in your uh, skin and blood vessels, you've got a lot in your genitals. Mm-hmm. So I think most women are familiar with, there's changes that most women can expect around menopause, hot flashes, night sweats, changes in your libido, uh, weight gain becomes problematic, your metabolism slows down, things like that. Well, you, you, you take this um, constellation of symptoms that people feel to varying degrees when they're around menopause, and that can trigger mood problems. So, so very similar to what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier with like pregnancy changes. Some yeah. people are more predisposed to having depression because of those. It, it, it's kind of similar with menopause. Mm-hmm. So I know we still have a lot of questions, but we're getting pretty close on time. So um, I want to ask one more question before we wrap up. Why is it so important for patients to to make sure that they see a gynecologist and that they have a relationship with a gynecologist? Yeah. So, you know, like we've mentioned, women have a a unique set of Mm -hmm. health situations that um, you don't see in men. So it's really Mm -hmm. important that women look after those things. as, as far as having an established, regular relationship with a doctor, um, not only are you going to be getting the right screening at the right time in your life, but I, again, I really believe that mm-hmm. if you want to be a partner with your physician, taking care of your health, having those regular visits, keeping that rapport going, mm-hmm. talking about things when they're developing, that, that, that's really going to promote your health. I work with great people. I have the best patients. It's 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 really it's mm-hmm. it, it's such a great job to have. Um, I I think that how we take care of women in our society really mm-hmm. reflects on us as a society. So the better we take care of of the moms out there, the families are healthier. Just uh, o- overall, our societies can be better off. So I I really feel passionately about providing good care. Um, I think as far as the, the women out in our community who need to be cared for, uh, Phelps Health, it's, it's a safe place to go to. We have done so many things as an organization. Some of them you can see like screening areas, the hand sanitizers, things like that. Some of the things you can't see, which is how we've scheduled surgeries, scheduled patients within mm-hmm. our clinics. Uh, we're doing everything we can for it to be a safe place for people to receive health care. And so I'd really encourage the women out in our community. I, I would encourage everybody out in our community. Mm-hmm. If, if you need to see your doctor, I, I want you to get the care that you need.
Yeah, we're open, safe, and ready. It's a great message. Well said, Dr. Ratchford. So thanks so much for tuning into The Scope. If you liked our show and would like to know more, visit pubhealth.org.